You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Sorry, Cal. Come on. Come on, this big crowd here. Help me out. <laughs> well, welcome, South Bay Church. And a welcome to everybody who is uh, tuning in and listening on our live stream. It's great to be here. Thank you so much to the tech team and the worship team. What a beautiful song that preceded me. I love that song. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, what a great job. And uh, my name is Dave Atkins, and I have the honor to be able to bring you the lesson today. And uh, we're going to continue the series that Brian started last week called Solid Food. And if you remember, Brian talked last week about self-training, about training ourselves to be godly, training ourselves to... Uh, develop our own convictions. He talked about how we need to train our minds and our bodies and our souls. And you know, and really the goal of all this self-training is so that we become more spiritually mature. And that's my topic today is being more spiritually mature or maturity in Christ. Now I do feel a little pressure having to speak about maturity. I guess that means I'm going to have to be mature. Uh, so I'm, you know, I've already made plans to get rid of my Spider-Man pajamas, so, uh, you know, moving on. Uh, that's a start. Um, but, you know, when you think about someone who's mature, you know, a lot of times we automatically think of somebody who's old, right? Uh, but, you know, I've seen a lot of old people that aren't really that mature. I'm not going to give any names. Uh, so age doesn't necessarily mean you're mature. I've seen a lot of young people that I would say are very mature as well, young men and women who are mature. So age doesn't really have a lot to do in some ways with spiritual maturity. But what does it mean to be mature? Well, some of the definitions I looked up talked about being an adult or growing and being fully developed uh, physically and emotionally. It implies wisdom and experience. You know, and that's what spiritual maturity is as well in a lot of ways. You know, when we become Christians, we're young Christians, right? We start, uh, you know, brand new in our faith. But then we begin to grow. We begin to, to uh, spiritually mature. You know, God works on us through uh, different challenges. He works on us through our discipling relationships. He works on us through our own self-training and learning more about the Bible and applying it to our life. Uh, we learn through our own trial and error about what works, what doesn't work. So all these things go into helping us mature. But you know, spiritual maturity is not really a given. You know, last week, Brian looked at a scripture. If you have your Bibles, look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. It says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, so the, the writer here in Hebrews is basically calling out these Christians and saying, you're not as mature as you should be. You're st you ought to be teachers, but you're still back here. You, should, you need milk, not solid food. So why is it important that we grow spiritually? Or why is it important that we become more and more mature spiritually? Well, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul makes an interesting statement that stood out to me. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 9. He talks about, I won't read the whole thing, but he, he talks about how he, um, 
the need for self-discipline, about how he beats his body and makes it a slave. And he says in, in verse 27, No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So think about that for a minute. You know, Paul is saying, you know, if he doesn't stay strong spiritually, even though he's preaching to others, he may end up being disqualified for the prize. You know, so we need to make sure that we're growing spiritually. Spiritual maturity is going to help us stay faithful to God all of our lives. I've often thought, you know, it's not so important as when you become a Christian is that you stay a Christian your whole life. You know, it doesn't do any good in some ways to become a Christian and then end up leaving God down the road. That, that's, you want to make sure you're faithful to the very end and spiritual maturity can help us get there. So what does spiritual maturity look like? You know, there's several different ways to look at this, but what I want to do this morning is kind of come up from this way. I'm going to look at four different areas and ask the question, how would a spiritually mature person look at these things? So my first one is, how does, what is a spiritual mature view of yourself? So let's look at Romans chapter 12. What is a spiritually mature view of yourself? Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. So the Roman, in Romans here, Paul is telling them, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You know, think about it. We do sometimes can think of ourselves more highly than we should, right? Uh, sometimes they're prideful thoughts, like, hey, look what I've done. Or, do you know who I am? You know, we've had those thoughts, right? Uh, Self-righteous thoughts. I would never do that. I would never fall into that. We've compared ourselves to others. That's another way of thinking yourself more highly. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Independent thoughts. You know, I know the right thing to do. I don't really need to get advice. I don't need to seek advice. You know, I know what it is. You know, I can be independent. Another one is overestimating your resistance to temptation. You know, I don't, need to, I don't need to be open. I don't need to confess that. I can handle it, you know. All those things are examples of us feeling, thinking about ourselves more highly than we should. We need to instead have, our, have a sober and realistic view of ourselves. You know, the truth is, no matter how old you are spiritually, you still are always going to need the grace of God. We need to be humble. We need to realize that, you know, without God's mercy, we're nothing. Everything that we have, everything that we do, all that we are is a part of our life is because of God's grace and because of what he's done for us. So we need to have the right opinion of ourselves, and we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But also, I think, having a spiritually mature view of yourself doesn't mean you look at yourself more lowly than you should as well. It doesn't mean to have a really negative view of yourself. You know, and a lot of us can struggle with this. You know, I'm in this category a lot of times, really feeling bad about myself. We can feel like we have little or no value, like we're insignificant. You know, and a lot of times this comes from our past, maybe from the way we grew up or, you know, different relationships we've had in the past that, you know, hurt us or abused us and caused us to really have a 
very negative self-image of ourselves. It can come from just being too concerned with what people think about us, you know, always trying to please, being a people pleaser. That can make us feel really bad about ourselves. Uh, it can also come from us just dwelling on our failures. You know, I always mess up. I'm such a loser. I never do anything right. You know, we have those thoughts go through our head, and it causes us to really feel bad about ourselves a lot. And so we end up, wherever that comes from, we end up feeling worthless, feeling insignificant, feeling marginalized, and feeling unimportant. You know, let me say this. That is not a mature view of yourself. That is not how God wants you to think about yourself. That's not humility. Sometimes you think, well, you know, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm humble, so I'm, you know, I don't think anything of myself. That's not really what humility is. A spiritually mature view of God is based on what God, God's view of you is. And God, so many times, looks at us completely different than we look at ourselves. You know, and there's a ton of scriptures in the Bible that talk about this. You know, and, and if you struggle with that, I would encourage you to look up those scriptures uh, that talk about how really God looks at you. One of my favorite ones is in Luke 15. It's a parable of the lost sheep. You know, and Jesus tells this parable, and, and one of the lessons he's teaching with this is to show how important we are to God. In Luke 15, starting in verse 4, it says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You know what God, what Jesus is teaching us here is that God, every single person is important to God. Every soul is important to God. One sheep is important to God. God doesn't play the percentages. It's like here, 99% of the flock is doing well. We got 1%, so I can write off 1%. That's not how God looks at it. Each of us is important. If there's only the one person gone, he would go after it. Because that's how important we are to him. That's how he looks at us. You know, if you feel like you're the worst Christian in South Bay, God would still go after you. He would still leave everybody else and go find you because you're important to him. You know, one of the, I have a song on my playlist. And yes, I do have a playlist on my phone. How about that? It's probably not as big as Brian's, but you know, I do have one. And uh, one of the songs I have on there is, uh, probably people have heard of it, it's called You Say by Lauren Daigle. It's an awesome song, and, in, and this song talks about how God looks at us and how he views us. And some of the lyrics go like this. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours. I even get emotional reading these lyrics. That song is, yeah. moves me. He says, I believe, I believe what you say to me. We need to believe what God says about us. We need to believe and view ourselves in the right way, to view ourselves that we are God's holy and dearly loved children. Amen? Second area I want to look at is, what is a spiritually mature view of relationships? Now let's start with the fact that we all need people in our life. We all need relationships. God did not create us to go through this whole world alone. We need one another. Having said that, what kind of relationship should we have in our life? 
Okay, so before you were a Christian, think about how you determined who you hung out with or who were your relationship, who your friends were. Or how do people in the world pick their friends? A lot of times it's who's fun to be with, right? Who you, who you have fun partying with. You know, people you have a lot in common with. Uh, you choose those. You choose people who agree with the way you think. A lot of times you choose people who can do something for you that's going to advance you in some way. That's how you determine who you hang out with. You term, Basically, you term you pick relationships that you can get along with. You know, a lot of times in the world, if you don't get along with someone, what do you do? You go on to another friend, right? You don't try to resolve it. You just move it on. But what would a spiritually mature person look at relationships? Well, in light of what we talked about, the goal of spiritual maturity is to really keep us faithful to the end and get us to heaven. We should ask ourselves, are this, is this relationship going to help us get to heaven? Is it going to help me be stronger spiritually? A couple of scriptures, you know, in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's important and that, we, and that we're careful about choosing who are going to be our close friends. Now, you know, we all have a lot of relationships. We all have a lot of friendships and acquaintances, and that's great. We need to, you know, meet people, develop relationships, friendships. That's how we share the gospel. But we also need to develop really close friendships. And the key in our relationships is what kind of influence are those relationships having on us? Are they influencing us for the good, or are they more of an influencing us away from God. You know, and so a spiritually mature person is going to develop close personal relationships that help them be stronger spiritually. You know, and this definitely applies for those of you that may be thinking about getting married or looking for a spouse. You know, your spouse should be one that's going to help you get to heaven. You know, I appreciate my spouse, Mary. She is such a spiritual woman. She is going to help me get to heaven. Uh, you know, a lot of what I do in my life is because she calls me higher by her convictions or by her example. Uh, you know, I'm so grateful that for the influence, the spiritual influence she has on my life. And so I encourage those of you that may be thinking about a spouse that someday, find someone that's going to help you get to heaven. Who were some of the close relationships that Paul had? You know, look over in Philippians. He talks about a couple of his close friendships in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 19, he talks about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. And then later in the chapter, he talks about another brother he had a close relationship, Epaphroditus. Starts in verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier. And then drop down to verse uh, 29. He says, so then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So unlike a lot of times our friendships in the world where we're, trying to get people that are going to help us or people take advantage of us, 
Paul's relationships with Timothy and Epaphroditus were ones where they were concerned for him, that had a spiritual concern for him. You know, and that's the kind of friends that we need to build. Friends that have a genuine, deep concern for us. Friends that are going to tell us the truth, even if it might be painful. Friends are going to be there during the challenging times and not run away. Uh, someone who's committed to the work of Christ and is committed to following God and putting God first in their life. Those are the type of relationships that we need to be developing. Amen? amen. It's okay to amen here in the garage. Amen. Number three, what's a spiritually mature, mature view of your priorities? We'll talk about priorities a little bit. You know, we have so much going on in our lives. Even though a lot of us still have to stay home a lot of the times, we still got a lot of things going on, don't we? Uh, maybe even more things now that we have to, you know, l l come up with a new lifestyle. But we have a lot of things that clamor for our attention in your everyday life that are trying to get your attention that you have to make decisions about. You know, money, you know, how are we going to support ourselves? How are we going to do this? You know, how's my career going? Uh, you know, maybe you're thinking about buying a house. Uh, our family, kids, how are we going to do the kids? How are we going to do school? Um, maybe you're really devoted to certain causes that really have a personal connection that you feel and you want to help out in some way. There's so many things in our life that require our attention, aren't they? That make demands on our time. And so... Every day we're called on to make decisions about what should be our priority. And so we should, so we, so a spiritually mature view in my mind has an order of priorities. And so in, to illustrate this, I kind of came up with another slide, one of my slides. Amen. Um, so in this slide I have, at the top is God, then you have your spouse, then you have your children, and number four is your church relationships, church activities, evangelism, and then five is everything else. So this is the order of priorities that I have found has helped in my life. I've learned over the years that when I have these things in this proper order, things usually go well, or things go better than, the, than not. When I have, when things are going challenging, I can look at this list and say, okay, maybe I've got something out of order here. Maybe I'm putting something higher up than it needs to be, right? So I can use this priority list sort of to troubleshoot things going on in my life about where I need to adjust, where I need to, to change or whatever. You know, an example is just a, a few of these things is, you know, number one, God has to be at the top of your list, right? If God is not number one, you know, things are not going to go well overall, if we're discouraged, if we're disconnected, if, if you know, we're not feeling right, whatever, first thing you need to do is look at your relationship with God. Am I making God first? Am I spending enough time with God? Am I, you know, in the Word? Am I training myself like we talked about last week? But also look at, just another example, you know, if I'm spending too much time at work, which is number five, more, that's higher up than my spouse or my kids, that's going to be a problem, right? Uh... Also, another one, if number four, if we're spending too much time with the brothers or the sisters and not enough time with our spouse, that could be a problem. We're putting four above two. You see what I'm saying? Uh, we got to get these things in order. Sometimes uh, one that could be a little controversial is where I have spouse above the children, you know, and sometimes people can feel like, well, hey, my kids, you know, they need me more. Uh, you know, they're, you know, they're young or whatever. I'm just saying what I've learned over the years, your marriage has to come first, even over your kids. 
and uh, your wife or your husband must feel like they are the most important relationship in your life. If they don't, if they aren't second below God, challenges are going to happen. So part of being spiritually mature is looking at these priorities and making sure that you're putting the proper order in your life of what should be first, what should be our priority. Amen? Fourth thing I want to look at is, um, what is a spiritually mature view of suffering and trials? You know, during this COVID crisis, we talked a lot about persevering through this challenging time, right? Talked a lot about, you know, getting through this hardship and, and, and staying close to God. You know, recently we did a whole series on 1 Peter, you know, and that's one of the major themes of the book of 1 Peter is suffering through Christ and suffering, staying faithful to God through all of that. You know, we've talked in the past weeks about really trusting God and really, you know, not losing heart. And we need to continue to do those things. But this morning I want to look at another part of uh, suffering and trials, and I'm going to look at focus on choice. Okay, and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute. If you have your Bibles, look over in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 7, the whole, the whole chapter is good, but I'll, I'll read parts of it here just for the sake of time. Hebrews 12, 7 says, Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And then drop down to 10. He says, They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our own good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God is going to discipline us. Going through trials and hardships is not a choice. We don't have any choice in that. We can't take the opt-out for, you know, I'm going to choose the, the, the process that has no hardships. That's not, that's not our choice, right? right? The choice is we do have a choice in how we handle when those trials, when they come up, you know, God has given us free will. He is going to allow us to handle things. However, we choose to do. If we choose to handle things poorly, then most probably we're going to end up dealing with bitterness, resentment, and our spiritual growth can be limited and can be hindered. However, if we take challenges and hardships in a spiritual way, if we trust God and we work through it, we're going to grow in things that you never can imagine. You know, like, like it says here in Hebrews, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. If we allow God to work, the suffering we go through will produce a harvest of righteousness. You know, years ago, uh, when I was young, a lot younger, I was uh, out in a park sharing my faith. And I reached out to this young, met this young guy, and uh, as I was talking to him, he was sharing with me that five years before I had met him, that five years before we were to get, that I met him there, his wife had died. And, and he had a couple of kids at the time, and he told me that he, he, he really couldn't handle it. And so what he had done was given his two kids to the care of his parents, and he took off. And so this was like five years later, and he told me he was just now starting to get reconnected with his kids, and I remember thinking, 
and just remember remembering that story and thinking, wow, that is, I, I don't know what to think about that, you know? It was crazy. But little did I know that a few years later, I myself would be in the same situation. You know, as many of you know, uh, my first wife, Suzanne, uh, when we were, she, she, she contracted cancer, was diagnosed with cancer, and died a month later. And so suddenly I was a single dad. We had two kids. We had two boys, Ryan and Sean. Ryan was two years old. Sean was nine years old. So all of a sudden, my wife had passed away, and I had two little boys to take care of. I was given a choice. How am I going to respond to this? You know, and I'm happy to say that, you know, through the grace of God, I was able to do the best I could to respond in a spiritual way. I received a tremendous amount of support from the church in San Diego where I was at the time. Uh, but it really, as, as I think back, I learned so much, and it helped me in so many ways to mature. You know, and maybe some of you out there listening are going through a difficult time, going through a hard time, and, you know, you, you know and it's challenging. Uh, and so I don't know what kind of hardship you're facing, but I, do, I just want to share from my life what my experience and how some of the things that I was able to learn that through that whole thing. You know, going through that experience, it really, on a very deep, fundamental level, changed my relationship with God. It helped me feel so much closer to Him. Because I, as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I'm watching my wife pass away here in a month, unable to do anything. And I thought, you know, I, and all those feelings that were there, I knew God had sat in, and allowed Jesus to die on the cross. And even though he could have done something, he didn't because he loved us. That brought me such a deeper connection with God that I had never had before. And I still feel that connection in a great way today. Every time I think about the cross and when I think about what God has done for me, it moves me deeper than it, it, than it ever had prior to that. You know, I appreciate my relationship with God so much more because of what I had gone through with that experience. Even though my suffering was in no way near what God suffered when he allowed Jesus to go to the cross, our connection through our suffering made me feel so much closer to God. You know, it also changed my relationships in a lot of ways because uh, I was able to get a deeper in touch with my emotions. Now, you know, before this time, before, you know, Suzanne got sick, I was kind of a typical male, totally clueless emotionally. Mm -hmm. You know, not to, you know, put all the guys in one thing, but I was that way, okay? Uh, out of touch. Uh, out of touch with, you know, my emotions and out of touch with, you know, people around me, especially my wife at the time. You know, as an example, you know, a few months before Suzanne got sick, you know, this brother in the church came to me and he said, hey, we're going to do this class for, you know, to help couples in their marriage. And we, we think it'd be good if you and Suzanne came, right? And me, being Mr. Out of Touch, said, oh, you know, we're good. Oh, I don't, we don't really need to go to that, <laughs> you know. And he goes, he goes, no, Dave, you need to come. He said, your wife is struggling with you. She is very concerned about where your marriage is at. You need to be at this class. And it floored me. It was like I was, I was like stunned. I'm like, really? This showed how out of touch I was. You know, and so we went to the class, and it, was really help, it really helped. It brought us a lot closer. You know, and then, if, and then it was only a few months later when she got sick and passed away. But, you know, that whole experience 
really hit my heart in my emotions, and I really felt things a lot more. It, it helped me connect emotionally with where I was at, but also where other people were at. You know, just a, as an ex example of, you know, my emotions getting, uh, you know, involved more was I remember after Suzanne had passed away, I remember having these dreams. And uh, I would dream, in my dream, Suzanne would come back and she would she would be alive again. And I remember thinking and telling her in my dream, man, I'm so glad you're back because now I'm going to be such a better husband. I'm going to be so much better than I was. And then I would wake up. And I realized it was a dream. Wow. And it was, it hurt, you know. But because I was so much more in with touch with my emotions, it challenged me. It hurt. Hmm. But fortunately, God did give me another chance. Hmm. He gave me a second wife, Mary, a second, two more kids, Shannon and Ryan, and our family. But I look back and I think, I, I'm, I, I feel like I'm a better husband to Mary because of what I went through. I feel like I'm a better friend because I'm more in touch with my emotions. That happened because of the challenging time I went through. Right. That God used that hardship and that trial to mature me and help me grow. What I've learned about um, the relationship between suffering and spiritual growth is this. Now, this is you know kind of my view of it, my opinion, so... Uh, I'll just share it with you. See, I, I, I believe that when we're, we become Christians and our sins are forgiven, we're like, yay, you know, awesome. So we start at like a level, spiritual level one, let's say. But then trials come, and we work through them. And as the trials come and different things happen, we begin to grow. And we go from spiritual level one, let's say, to spiritual two, and then three, and we start growing, right? Also, the harder the trial the more levels we might be able to jump. You know, something that's really challenging, we may grow a lot, whereas something that wasn't that hard to handle, we only grow a little bit. Remember, though, we still have a choice. And if we choose not to handle these hardships in a spiritual way, we may not get to the next level. Or it may take us a long way to go from up to a new level because we're not allowing God to work on our hearts the way we need to. It's possible to stay at just a certain level if we don't challenge ourselves for a long time. And this may be what the writer in Hebrews was talking about in Hebrews 5. He goes, you guys should have been teachers by now, but you're still at the same level. You know, so it doesn't say what the problem was, but perhaps they weren't allowing themselves to mature and pushing themselves. Now, I want to make one thing clear here. I'm not talking about salvation, okay? We don't have to grow, you know, to get to a certain level spiritually to be saved. You know, we are saved by the grace of God. Amen. Whether you're at level one or level a thousand, it, you're still saved by grace. Amen. You're not saved by your works. My point is, is that in a large way, we control how much we're going to grow spiritually and how much we're going to mature spiritually by how we handle the trials that God puts in our life. So as I kind of wrap it up here, uh, you know, I want all of us, I believe all of us, should strive to grow spiritually mature. <clears throat> we should be putting effort into getting higher and higher in our spiritual maturity. We should strive to have a mature view of ourselves, not too high, but also not too low. We should have a mature view of our relationships, who we have in our life. We should have a mature view of what our priorities should be. We should make sure we have a, them in the right order. 
And we should have a mature view of the trials and the hardships we go through. If we do that, we will continually grow and we will stay faithful to the end and all make it to heaven. Amen? want to just share a thought as we get ready to take the communion together, the Lord's Supper. You know, I want to, as I mentioned earlier, you know, thinking about the, the, losing my first wife and thinking about how God, how that connected me to God. You know, as you take the Lord's Supper this morning, you know, think about how God felt allowing Jesus to go to the cross. The suffering that he felt because his only son, the one that he loved more than anything else, he was allowing him to be beaten, humiliated, etc., etc., and crucified on the cross. And what impacted me and what hopefully will impact you is Jesus and God only did that. They didn't need to do it for themselves. They only did it so that we could be saved. They only went through that. They only allowed themselves that suffering, that pain, because they loved us and they wanted us to become Christians and be saved and one day have a home with them in heaven. That's my prayer for you this morning is to meditate on how much God loves you and how much he was willing to suffer for you to see you saved. Amen? Let's pray together. Well, God, we thank you so much for how much you love us. We don't deserve it. We don't understand it. Uh, but God, I know that you do love us, that you were willing to go through <clears throat> suffering that we have no idea how challenging it was, but, but your motivation was to save us, to love us. And as we take this bread and this wine or this juice right now, I pray that we can think about how much you love us. Let that impact our, our hearts and help us uh, return with gratitude to live our lives for you. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for Jesus. We pray through his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.